It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Plato once said, we are twice armed if we fight with faith. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us this evening. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So let's get started. Good evening, Jonathan. What's up? What's happening? And most importantly, what are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question for this evening is, what do you have faith in? And our theme text is found in James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So we're talking about faith. And again, the question, what do you have faith in? Faith is a part of life. Faith is not reserved for those of us who claim religion. And we're going to really work on that point throughout this uh, couple of hours. On the contrary, faith is an integral part of human life, no matter what perspective you might come from. We have faith in the people in our lives that they will be there for us. To varying degrees, we have faith in our doctor's ability to take care of us, our employer's responsibility to be fair to us, and our co-workers' sensibility to do their fair share with us. We have faith in the Internet as a window to the world, and we have faith in the antivirus software that we use to protect that window. So how does the faith that we find everywhere in life compare to religious faith? Is one kind of faith reasonable while the other is sensational, or are they both the same? And so, Jonathan, that really is the the core of the conversation uh, that we're talking about this evening. It's about faith. What is faith? How does faith work? And most importantly, how does Christian faith work? How should it work? And how does it maybe generally work, and is it malfunctioning? So there's a, oh, okay, <laughs> lots of questions. Yeah, there there are there are a lot of questions that we want to be really careful of uh, as we go through this uh, this 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 evening. So I want to get started with a soundbite. Um, just going to jump right into this via via soundbites. This is from a, a YouTube channel called the Rational Channel. Now, right there, you can conclude that what their 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 approach is going to be. We're look, we're science reason based. Don't mess around with foolishness okay okay <laughs> so and the 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 title of this particular presentation on the rational channel was and this is a shortened version of the title theists people like us projecting faith onto science so at the beginning of this soundbite it's going to sound really good it's going to sound like things that you and i would talk about and at the end okay. of the soundbite it's going to sound really good and like things that you and i would talk about but in the middle there's a line and we want to pay attention to that one real particular line in this soundbite. So let's go to this, the rational channel. 
science has required, requires, and will require faith. Furthermore, science requires faith because assumptions are made all the time, and they're usually assumptions that scientists can't prove. Science can't tell you the difference between good and evil. Science can't tell us that rape is wrong. Sure, we accept that as a value judgment, but science can only tell us what's observable and testable. And even then, a degree of faith and assumption making is required. Okay, this, this has got to stop. So, we've all heard this statement before. Well, first of all, I, I think it's quite evident from what you've seen tonight. It takes faith to believe in God. It takes faith to believe in evolution. I think it takes a lot more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in God. But they both require faith. All right. So, at the end, that was Ben Carson, you know, in his, uh, in his presidential run uh, several months ago. But at the beginning, it was a young man talking about the idea that, look, people that believe in science have to have faith just like people of faith have to have faith. Absolutely. But in the middle, you got the guy who says, okay, this has got to stop because his, his point is you people, you theists, you people who believe in some mythical god of yours that you have made up in your own mind. I'm obviously filling in a lot of gaps Paraphrasing, here. Paraphrasing, yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> and putting my opinion into what I think the guy's thinking, let's be clear. He's saying, you've got this, this grandiose idea of something, and you have the nerve to take your fantasies and ideas and compare it to science. What is wrong with you? That's where he's coming from. We're going to come back to him and listen to his reasoning on that because he does have, I'm going to have to give him this, he does have some very, very good and logical points. So let's get started before we go back to him. Let's get started and identify what we believe is Christian faith. What we believe Christian faith is supposed to be, is supposed to be defined as. So let, let's go to, well, you know, if you're going to do that, uh, and this, we are talking about the great debate about faith. Well, the Bible itself gives a definition of faith. So why don't, I mean, that would be, to me, that, if you want to be logical, let's start there. Hebrews now 11. Faith, go ahead. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. All right. Now let's go back to that scripture one more time. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. Let's read it from a different translation. This is the Rotherham translation. Then let's figure out what the word faith actually means, and let's build from there. But faith is, of things hoped for, a confidence of facts, a conviction, when they are not seen. Okay, so of things hoped for, there's a confidence. And of facts, it's a conviction. So it's interesting that the Rotherham translation in, in the Bible defines faith as based on facts. That's right. And that's an important distinction that we want to make right off the bat here. It sounds like science. <laughs> Let's not <laughs> jump to contusions. Based uh, <laughs> on facts. Uh, well, and you're right about that. You are absolutely right about that. Now, there are some big differences, and we're going to get into that as, as we go through the program. But, you know, the interesting thing is that the word for faith in the New Testament is always, always, always from the exact same Greek word. So, Jonathan, what are some of the primary definitions of that, that one Greek word for faith? Well, Rick, it means persuasion, credence, conviction, reliance, constancy. Okay, persuasion, credence, conviction, reliance, constancy. So, when you have credence, when something has credence, it's got, it's, it's got intrinsic value. It's got something to hold it together. 
And so you're persuaded or convicted. That's another way of looking at faith. You know, I have faith. I am persuaded of this. I'm convicted to do this because faith has something to build upon. The thing that gets confused with faith is a word that we don't use a lot, but it's an important word, and we're going to come back to it frequently through the program, and the word is credulity. So what does credulity mean? Readiness or willingness to believe, especially on slight or uncertain evidence. And Rick, I love this. It's gullibility. That's easy to understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I want to use credulity versus gullibility because most of us, look, a lot of us have credulity in certain areas of, of our lives. We do. Okay, and, and we'll give you examples as we go through the program, and maybe you can give us some examples of that as we go through the program. We can much more easily tolerate, okay, I might have a little credulity in that, versus saying, oh, Jonathan, you're just gullible. Because if, mm. I, you know, if I say that, you know, there's that reaction. What do you mean I'm gullible? I am not gullible. And, and so credulity is not faith, but it is often confused with faith. So th that's, and others looking into Christianity confuse it. Right. And so real, sound, biblical faith is not credulity. True, deep, and powerful faith must be built and developed, just like any muscle must be built and developed, and it has to be built and developed in degrees and in stages and one step at a time, and you've got to work at it, just like anything else. Faith is not magical. True faith is not magical. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about what true biblical faith is, how it works. We'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. And don't forget, you can message us on your app. So, and also, you know, if you want to get involved in the, in the chat, on the chat board uh, with uh, our program this evening, please feel free to do that as well. All right, so Jonathan, let's, let's look at the process of developing Christian faith. Let's start with James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? So James is asking an incredibly important question. What good is your faith if you don't do something as a result of your faith. And that's profound because that is a big, deep, moving, and transformational question that he asks. So now he is going to expand on asking that question. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? So he's giving a very practical example. He says, you have faith. And, and it's interesting because the example he gives to put your faith in action is of a brother or a sister who basically is, is destitute, is, is just, is, has run into some really bad situations and has got great challenges in, in, in being able to take care of themselves. And so the implication here is that the faith of that brother or sister isn't going to automatically fix their problem, but their faith has to be built through their problem. You, as a Christian who may not have those same issues, to express your faith, it's to recognize their issues and do something. 
So faith is a do-it kind of a thing. It's not magically changing the way you feel kind of thing. And it's provoked by love. Absolutely. To help. Christian faith is provoked by love because it is in our, our Christian faith inevitably is in the power and love of God, and that's what we seek to emulate. So, so let's finish up this scripture in James. You know, he says, so you know, what good is it if if you see someone, a brother or sister who's destitute, and you don't do anything about it? What does he say then? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So faith, all by itself. If it is not applied, if it's not put into practice, if it's not gone out and, and, and expressed, he said faith without works is dead. And that's pretty serious stuff. It's useless. Right. So right off, we have come to a scriptural conclusion that Christian faith can die because of inactivity. That's pretty serious stuff right there. Okay. It is. All right, so let's go further and, and define faith, because again, Jonathan, a lot of people who are not, quote, people of faith, the, the way we are consider ourselves people of faith, look at us, and look at us as foolish little children having this fantasy faith in something that we've sort of made up, and that we just want to believe in, so therefore we do believe in it. It's like, you know, oh, I love unicorns, so I'm going to believe in unicorns. Now, I'm using unicorns specifically, because they're going to come up later in the program. <laughs> okay, and, and, and they look at our faith in God in that way. So to further define faith, let's go to McClintock and Strong's Encyclopedia of the Bible and, and just take a few lines out of their very detailed explanation of what true Christian faith really is. Faith is essentially trust. The various uses of the word, both objective and subjective, may be summed up as follows. Number one, an objective body of truth. Number two, a rule of thought. Number three, a personal quality, act, or habit of the individual man. Psychologically, faith is the faculty of grasping evidence with a propensity to admit it when it duly is duly presented to the mind. So it's the faculty of grasping hope. No, it's the, it's the faculty of grasping a wish. No, it's the faculty of grasping evidence. Evidence. And isn't that what people of science are always saying? You have to have evidence. Yeah. Absolutely. Christian faith has to be built on grasping evidence. So at this point, biblical faith has surety and conviction behind it, whereas credulity only has a willingness and a feeling. And we're going to really focus on this as we go through the program. The first problem we encounter is this. Many who say that they believe, quote-unquote, in the Bible, are merely being credulous. And Jonathan, what we're saying is there's a lot of us, like you said before, who can fall into the trap of being gullible in our Christianity. Yes, true. So how do we avoid that? Let's figure out what we know about faith so far. We're going to make a few statements that we maybe haven't discussed, but we're putting in as a foundation for the rest of our discussion. So what's the first point of what we think we know about faith? Rick, faith is not science, though the principles of searching and testing are present. So we're not trying to say faith and science are exactly the same. They are not. Faith in the Bible is not exactly the same as faith in science. But there are dramatic similarities between those two things. Okay, what's next? 
Faith is not credulity. And I don't know how many times we have to say it <laughs> and how many more times <laughs> we're going to have to say it, but that's a really important part of this is faith is not credulity. What, what's next? Faith is acquired by listening and considering. It's not acquired by feeling. Faith is acquired by listening. And then here's, a, here's, a, here's an idea. Using your head and processing what you listen to. That's how we acquire true faith. What's next? Faith is maintained by study, proving, and experience. So you maintain it by doing what? Sitting back and feeling good? No. You maintain it by study, by digging further, by, by further proving, and by the experiences of life showing you what faith can bring, has brought, and, and how it's acted in other people's lives. So, and, and then one final point. Faith is spread by repeating the above two steps. So faith is spread by, uh, by listening and considering, and then by it's maintained by studying, proving, and experience. If we look at faith, through those eyes, we can begin to now talk about the kind of faith that is in the Bible. When you talk about credulity, when you talk about gullibility, when you talk about fantasy, when you talk about I wish this or that, that's not biblical faith. So we need to set that apart in, in the first segment of this program so that we can understand the differences. Because for the rest of the program, Jonathan, what we're going to do is we're going to look at faith, and we're going to look at feeling, and we're going to compare the two, and we're going to actually see how they can be uh, difficult in their separation, but also how they can actually work together. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, what do you have faith in? Coming up, is there a difference between faith and feeling? How do they relate to each other? That's next. and now for Christian Talk Radio, Christian Questions. It is different. Why is it different? How am I supposed to tell you in only 30 seconds? Go to ChristianQuestions.com for tons of radio shows, tons of videos, taking a look at biblical topics and mainstream topics from multiple angles. ChristianQuestions.com or get the app in your Apple or Google Play Store. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Have faith in. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4255. For all, or you can message us on your app and join us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Sorry about that. I sort of forgot to turn your volume on. <laughs> but anyway, we're back. <laughs> All right. All right. So, see, you have faith in me, don't you? Oh, I do. And sometimes I just don't come through the way I'm supposed to, <laughs> but I try really hard. So, all right. So, we're talking about faith. And, and the question you asked at the, last, at the end of the last segment was, you know, well, okay, how do faith and feeling relate to each other? 
So let's go back to the rational channel, the, the, the program, the presentation they did on theists projecting faith onto science, because in that they give two definitions of faith. And, and listen carefully to the difference between these two definitions. Given the only thing anyone can be absolutely certain of is that they exist, and you can't be absolutely certain you aren't in the matrix right now, and it's unrealistic to watch every single scientific experiment conducted before accepting its conclusions, most intellectually honest people will admit they can't be absolutely certain of anything, but have formed reasonable beliefs based on a system that is self-correcting and constantly following the evidence. As soon as they do this, our residential theist calls this faith and proceeds to claim that this justifies his or her faith in the supernatural, because by definition both require faith. So let's examine the word faith in a bit more depth. There are two definitions of faith. The first being confidence in a person or thing, and the second being holding a belief that is not based on proof. Now we can begin to see how this fits into the equivocation fallacy. All right, and he's going to go into the equivocation fallacy uh, very soon, so that'll be coming up. But uh, he says, you know, the first definition is confidence in a person or thing, and the second definition is belief in something that cannot be proven. And of course, that that second one, Rick, sounds a lot like credulity, right? Doesn't it? it? Yeah, and and their two definitions really do fit into the true definition of faith that we spent the first segment on, versus right. gullibility, versus the idea of believing in something because now look, science people who are atheistic are gonna they're they're gonna smile broadly as they tell you, go ahead, prove to me God exists, and you can't prove it to them. All you can do is present what I think are mountains and mountains and mountains of evidence to show incredible intelligence. And they can say, well, it could have happened by chance. And we'll leave it at that because I could get off on a tangent for a long time right there. <laughs> so so he, he's using the two basic definitions, okay? And it seems those outside of Christianity, assume all of us inside of Christianity, have credulity and not faith. So we're going to examine these by looking at faith, and feeling. Every segment now for the rest of the program, we're going to take one aspect of feeling and compare it to an aspect of true faith. So the first aspect of feeling is this. Feeling. Deep emotions, when experienced and dwelt upon, can and most often lead us to credulity. For emotions need and seek to be validated simply because those emotions exist. So the point, Jonathan, is emotions when they are our lead, often lead us to credulity because we want something to be true more fully than we're willing to find the proof that it can be true. Makes sense. And th- that is a human That's nature. That's human thing. nature, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> and it's a dangerous human nature thing because it can get us all kind of trouble. Okay, unicorns, I'm telling you, unicorns. We're going to come back to them <laughs> in a bit. <laughs> Philippians 3, 17 to 21. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Okay, so he's giving those who are around him a very practical and real example to follow. He's saying, look at me. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Join in following my example. I want you to follow the kinds of things that I have spent my life doing, that I've spent my time doing while I'm here with you now. You have seen what's important to me. He's saying, take what you have seen as important and make it important to you. And then... And, and being seen is evidence. Yes, absolutely They is. have 
full evidence based on his example. Right. So they're looking at a real-life example of faith in action right in front of them. And so now he's going to give an example of those who, who got involved in Christian, quote, faith without having Christian faith. Let's listen to this, what he describes next. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So here he's talking about false Christians. And he's saying, in the way he describes them, they don't seem to be described as having true faith. Rather, they seem to have had a sense of greed and ego toward Christianity as an opportunity for worldly gain. So they were using Christianity as a means to an end rather than focusing on Christianity as the end for themselves. So, Rick, what you're saying, no faith, just feeling. Right, right. They had a feeling that, you know what? I get involved in this, I can get people to follow after me, and I can get these people to kind of support me as I go, and, you know, I could do pretty well with this thing. This Christianity thing has got some good potential. You know, this reminds me of, I'm not saying all, but some of the scribes and Pharisees that were dealing with Jesus, you could see these things happening with them, with the law, early on. Right. Some were sincere. Some had faith. Right. In the law. Right. They and th- their agenda was not to truly uphold the law. It was to truly get people to watch them as they looked like they were upholding the law. Big difference. Yes. It was a feeding of ego. It was a feedi- fe- feeding of feeling. It was a feeding not of true bona fide Christian faith. Uh, um, well, for them it wasn't Christian faith. It would have been Jewish faith. But, you know, the right. bottom line is their validation was only in worldly forms. Okay, so now let's go back to what the Apostle Paul continues to say, because now he's going to compare. Here's what true faith is going to reveal in your lives versus what I just described about worldly validation. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Okay, so he's saying they're being validated by worldly things, by worldly gain, by their own personal ego. Our validation is a long-term proposition that we need to wait for with patience and humility. It's not something that's going to come right here, right now. It's not going to come in the next 10 or 15 minutes. It may take your entire life and you still won't see it, but the heavenly realm will be an eternal reminder of that's what you stood for. So true faith versus feeling was expressed in this scripture in Philippians 3, and we can see that feeling, when we use it as our lead, will often lead us to credulity because the emotion needs validation simply because the emotion exists. Folks, again, if you have a thought, we're talking about faith and feeling, what the differences are, how do you develop true Christian faith, Uh, Give us a call at 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com. So we talked about feeling, leading with feeling brings credulity. Faith, on the other hand, true faith absolutely 
and positively should lead to feeling. True faith should lead to strong emotion that will back it up and keep us reminded of the why of our faith. So, Rick, in some cases, feelings and emotions are good. Absolutely. They, they, true faith provokes excitement and enthusiasm and passion and, and that feeling of belonging and that feeling of direction absolutely does. And again, the scriptures bear this out for us. Let's go to First Peter um, chapter 1, verses 13 uh, to, to 16. And as we read this, you got to feel the strength of the direction in this next text because there's a lot of strong emotion here. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so, so what he's saying, he's starting off this verse saying, okay, prepare your mind for action. Get yourself ready inside your head because you've got a journey to take. Fix your hope completely on the grace that will be brought at the revelation of Jesus. Let's continue. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So, all right, now he's saying, now look, you, you are children of God, you are through Christ. You have to focus. You can't, you can't conform to your former desires, your former feelings. You have to now conform your former life to a new life, a new direction, a new set of, of guidelines where you can pour your heart into. See, faith brings that out of us. It brings out our heart and so we can be holy in our emotions. So it says, I'm sorry, I was going to read it. You read it. Go ahead. <laughs> Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So there's a strength of emotion in the guidance and direction that's given to us with, with faith. Faith and trust in full action. Faith can and should use feelings to draw inspiration. So that's an important part of this whole thing, is making sure that we have faith and inspiration working in our lives in an everyday way, and in every way that we can possibly uh, imagine. So, so Jonathan, before we go to the, um, to the next scripture, let's actually, let's go to the phones. We have Robert from California on the line. Good evening, Robert, and welcome to Christian Questions. Thank you. Yes, good evening. This is much better than uh, calling at 5 in the morning. <laughs> I bet it is. Good <laughs> <laughs> uh, Driving home from work here, listening to your program, and... Um, appreciate your topic. I'd, uh, I've done a lot of research on this topic myself, and um, I'm sure you have brought this scripture out and explained it very carefully. If you haven't, I'm sure you're probably going to, so um, if I beat you to it, I apologize. But yeah, um, sure. I listened to <laughs> the, uh, the, the soundbite that you played uh-huh. uh, listening to the de definition of listening to the definition of faith from those guys in the soundbite. I think the first definition sounded pretty good, but again, as you always say, you know, that's, that's really not the scriptural definition. And we know the scriptural definition. I don't know the scripture offhand, but I know it goes like this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things that are not seen. Now, if you take those two words, substance and evidence, 
uh, sub, under, stance, standing. And evidence is evidence. It, it, it's evident that it's there. So faith is the understanding of things that you hope for, things that are hoped for, and it is evidence of things that are unseen. So there's a lot more to faith than just, as you guys have been saying, feeling. And I just leave you think, it makes me think of one other example. Because we really exercise faith in different things every single day. Right. And if you, if you, understand, if you understand magnets, magnets have what are called magnetic flux lines. That's the, the draw from north to south pole. You cannot see these flux lines. You cannot smell them. You cannot hear them. You cannot taste them, feel them, touch them, anything. But if you take a magnet and put it under a table, and I'm sure we've all done this, and you put a piece of metal on top, those magnetic flux lines go through that table, through that material, and as you move it below the table, it moves the metal on top. That is an understanding of something that we cannot see. We cannot see these flux lines, but we have faith in them, we understand them, and there is evidence of it by the fact that they do all the time move that metal. So I thought that would be a practical example. Anyway, uh, thanks for taking my call. Enjoy your show, and uh, keep up the good work. All right, Robert, thanks so much. We appreciate it, and that's a great example. We're going to come back to that later in the program. Have Take a good, care. Have a good day. So, so Jonathan, you know the the magnetic flux lines. I got to remember that phrase because that's going to come into play in a in a big way later on. Robert, thanks so much for that illustration. And he elaborated even further on that Hebrews eleven one scripture. So that that's important because he he brought it out even even actually he did a better job than we did. So way to go, brother. <laughs> so okay, so let's get to one more scripture before the break of this segment. Uh, faith and trust in full action. Okay, remember faith should draw feeling. It should create feeling. Because faith is worth putting feeling behind it. Faith can and should draw us uh, to, to feel inspired. Let's go to Romans 8, 33 to 39. And Jonathan, these are scriptures that I know every time you read them or I read them, we just get inspired by them. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, he who died, yes, rather, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? So the way this is written, this is written to inspire. It's written to wake you up. It's written to get your blood flowing. It's written to say, who can stand against you when you have the true faith of a true Christian? Inspiration is an important element because the tasks of our faith are difficult and they require conviction and conviction requires that feeling to back up the faith so let's continue with the scripture just as it is written for your sake we are being put to death all day long we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So it says, just as it has written, it, just as it, it is written. And what the apostle is doing is saying, look, I'm not telling you something new. I'm quoting something old, something established, something you already recognize as prophetic truth. 
And it's saying that's how you can draw the feeling to be built upon your faith. Not the faith upon your feeling, but the feeling to build upon your faith. Our scripture-based conviction will empower us to really, truly stand. And so now he talks about what he's convicted of. In, in Romans, we're in Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the conviction. That's what faith brings us to because that's how faith puts feeling into action, not the other way around. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, our subject, What Do You Have Faith In? Coming up, faith and feeling. How well or poorly do they operate without each other? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, what do you have faith in? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And if you don't have our free app for your smartphone, just go to your app store and type in Christian Questions Radio. All right. The app is a great tool. It helps to keep it connected, and that's what we want. We need to have that connection. Because frankly, Jonathan, Christian faith, one of the the really basic aspects of Christian faith is other Christians contributing to that faith and helping you to stand more firmly because the world is not getting better. It's getting worse. And we really need each other to be able to do that. So we're talking about faith and feeling. And and in this segment, we want to look at feeling and faith in in the following manner. Let's take another look at feelings. Okay, Feelings cannot stand in the absence of faith. Because feelings, strong and persuasive emotions, are much more of a sprint than a marathon. Now, feelings can inspire us for a time. but That's right. They're good. They're good. But it's only for a time. Right. And and they, they fizzle out. They fizzle out right. because they're emotional, okay? Ultimately, they need a deeper and stronger conviction to even survive long-term. And, gotcha. and, and, you know, a lot of times what you see in the world is these, a lot of times movements spring up like all of a sudden and people have lots of emotion behind it and, and then it just fizzles out over a couple of months because people got tired. And, and, and that's a classic example of feelings being a sprint, not a marathon. So let's go back. Now Now is where we get to talk about unicorns. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, well, this is going back to uh, the Rational Channel, uh, theists projecting faith onto science. And he's going to be giving an example now of how he thinks we really mess up the idea of what faith is when we accuse people of science having the same kind of faith that we might have. One definition caters to the inability to ascertain absolute certainty of concepts or facts presented in everyday life. This is an unavoidable scenario as previously mentioned. So how do we manage to make sense of the world if we can't be certain that it's real? 
Every day, people make claims about relatively mundane things, and we accept these claims without hesitation, and we do so on faith. This is because when someone tells you they had a ham sandwich for lunch, the implications for the truth of this statement aren't very important, and it's a realistic scenario. However, if someone claims to have had a unicorn sandwich for lunch, you would have some questions before accepting the validity of that statement. This is an important concept because accepting the second scenario on faith would have significant outcomes to your concept of reality. And you know what? He's right about that. You know, if somebody said I had a unicorn sandwich, you'd look at them a little little bit cross-eyed and say, "Don't you know that unicorns are endangered species? What are you doing?" Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the the idea is of course you're not going to just take that on the same on the same level as you would, you know, I had a ham sandwich because a ham sandwich is something that is part of the world. It's part of everyday life. The interesting thing was on the on the video, Jonathan, when they're talking about it, they put up a picture of a sandwich and it looked like turkey to me. It didn't look like ham. I'm just saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So again, the idea is feeling cannot stand in the absence of faith because feelings are sprint. Faith, on the other hand, can and needs to be able to stand and endure in the absence of feelings because faith true and abiding faith is far deeper and stronger than any feeling we might have that's the difference and that's how you know if what you have is faith or feeling does it abide even when you don't feel like it is it still there is it still functional does it still have impact Folks, if you have a thought on how faith works in our lives, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Listen to uh, a variety of subjects uh, on our website, and um, you can go through the list of topics or, or the times that we presented the material. So lots available at ChristianQuestions.com. Just poke around there, see what you like, um, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, programs to, to, uh, to look into. Jonathan, got a, a comment uh, via, via email faith without, on faith without works, and it says, The purpose of having faith in God and Christ's plan is to become godly and righteous, to act, think, and reflect who they are. We were created in the image of God, and to get back to that image, that was lost by sin. And then it says, faith is not a self-saving thing. I'm all set, too bad for the rest of you. Faith is an inward journey that's purpose is an outward life that honors and reflects our God. So Beautiful. Yeah, it, it really gives a sense that it's a journey, and it's a journey for a reason. It's a journey with a purpose, a grand purpose. You know, in that soundbite, in that last soundbite from the Rational Channel, he was it's almost kind of poking fun, like saying, okay, you theists, you think you're eating unicorn sandwiches, and you expect us to believe that. Well, let's look at some of the – remember what Robert was talking about in his phone call about the, uh, the, the credibility of understanding the power of the magnet without being able to see it? Yes. What you saw was the result, and you just believe that that magnet has that power because of what you see as the result. Let's apply that principle to several scriptures because the Bible was written a long time ago. You know what? Even, even people who don't believe in the Bible have to believe that. 
right? Sure. Written sure. thousands and thousands of years ago. Well, let's take a look at some of the things that the Bible says about science long before those things were ever known or even thought about. Let's take a look at, for, for instance, meteor, meteorology, weather. Water is recycled in the Earth's water cycle. Now, we know this. And, you know, they're always showing how moisture is drawn up from the oceans and into the clouds and falls back down like rain. But back then, thousands and thousands of years ago, at the time of the book of Job, which you are going back, I don't know, 4,000, 5,000 years ago, when, when Job happened, nobody knew that. But somehow Job was able to write that down. Let's look at Job 36, 27 to 29. For he draws up the drops of water. He distills his mist in rain, which the skies pour down and drop upon mortals abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? So the scripture in Job says very plainly, he draws up the drops of water. It's talking about the meteorolog meteorological <laughs> cycle. <laughs> it's easy for you to say. Uh, yeah. th that, and, 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 and it says, and then he distills it in the midst of rain, which the skies pour down. So it explains the water is drawn up, it's in the clouds, and then it's poured out. And that's exactly what science has discovered. The interesting thing is Job knew it before science discovered it. So when you say you have faith in some mythological God with some mythological book, take a scripture like this and say, well, is this mythological? When was this, this written? Is, this is evidence, Rick. That's the point. This is the power of the magnet underneath the table moving the metal object on top of the table. How did it do it? I don't know, but it does it. The Bible knew it. How did Job, how was Job able to write that? Because he was inspired by God to write that. That's our answer. Now, somebody, an atheist can look at that and say, well, you're full of baloney or unicorns or whatever you, know, you want to be full of. <laughs> but the, the idea is there is evidence. Now, one scripture is good, but two scriptures are better, right? Sure. Okay, so let's take a look at a scripture that talks about oceanography. Let's go to Psalm chapter 8, verse 8. The birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of seas... Okay, so this scripture talks about the paths of the seas. You say, well, what is that all about? What that is about is ocean currents that are underneath the water that you can't see. Now, the interesting thing is David wrote the Psalms, right? Sure. David had never seen the ocean as far as we know. He'd never even been to the shoreline. So how would he know about ocean currents? Now, ocean currents are a verifiable fact in our world today. They are a verifiable fact because way back in the early 1800s, I think it was, Commodore Matthew Maury discovered the paths of the seas. Now, how did he discover them? He, he was sick. This is, this is what the history says, and we've got something on this in Seeker Rewind, the full edition. So if you do not subscribe to Seeker Rewind, please do so. It's a free service. In the bonus material, at the end of the program, there are several things that we expand upon, and this is one of them for this program. It's how Commodore Matthew Maury discovered the paths of the sea. The story goes that he was very sick, and one of his children was reading to him from Psalms 8. And he was, he was a mariner. And when he heard this phrase, the paths of the sea, he thought, 
They must be out there somewhere. And he went out and looked for them, and he found them. Because it says the fish of the sea, that's where they go. So he figured if he could find them, he could do all kinds of things for, for, for being able to navigate through the oceans. So, so he didn't watch Nemo. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> he found the path of the seas because the scripture told him it was there. Now, again, you can say, well, that was lucky. Well, okay, sure, you can have one lucky one, but you also have to have the meteorological scripture that you can say that's lucky too. And if two scriptures are good, then three are better, right, Jonathan? That's true. But even in that second scripture, it's also talking about the birds of the air. Yep. And we, we know that airstream is used for migration. Right. So it, it even proves another point in the, in the skies. So, so you ha what you have is provable evidence written before our brightest minds of the, 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 the later centuries figured it out. That's right. And that has got to stand for something in terms of credibility. Let's go to astronomy now. The, the sun moves around in an orbit. And you know, historically, it, they used to believe that the earth was the center of the universe and the sun revolved around the earth. But the Bible actually talks, t tells us that the sun actually moves around in a much bigger orbit. And, and, and it's part of something even greater because then it was thought that the sun was the center of the universe. But this is telling us, no, it's, something, it's part of something even greater. This is Psalm 19, verses 4 to 6. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom for his wedding canopy. And like a strong man runs its course with joy, its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. So in this scripture, it's a, it's a little bit veiled, but it says, in the heavens he has set a tent for the sun. So picture the sun being in a tent, meaning it has a, 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 a set a guideline where it, where it can go. And then it talks about, it comes out like a bridegroom, uh, and like a strong man, it runs its course. So it's saying that the sun runs its course within this tent, within these guidelines, and that's what the sun does. Nobody knew that. Nobody knew that when David wrote the Psalms. And yet the scriptures told us that. Now, is it easy to see? No. It takes a little bit of looking, but that's what faith does. Faith is looking for true, solid, clear, unmistakable evidence to build it up. Not a feeling, not a, oh, God is good, I love God. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all you've got, you're going to crumble. You need the evidence to build up the foundation underneath it. This scripture does it. So, you know, Jonathan, if one, two, one, two, three scriptures are good, four scriptures are better, right? <laughs> four is better. Okay. <laughs> well, how about the earth being round? Again, back in ancient history, how many people thought the earth was flat? If you sailed off too far, you'd fall off the edge. Well, the earth is round and it has an atmosphere. How do we know? Let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in. Okay, so the first thing it talks about, he who sits above the circle of the earth. So if you're in space... And you look down, you see the earth as a circle. Now, yes. how would Isaiah know that? 
<laughs> could he jump really high? I mean, come on. How could he possibly know that? Inspired of God. And that's the point. You have the circle of the earth laid out for us. And, and then it goes and it talks about, uh, stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in. It's describing the atmosphere. The earth lives inside the tent, inside the atmosphere. How did they know that? Inspired by God. So when we go back to the, 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 the comparison of feeling, remember feeling can't stand in the absence of faith because feelings uh, are just a sprint. Faith, even in the absence of feeling, can stand. And these are some of the reasons why. Because when we look at the Bible, we look at how it reads and what it stands for and what's there, what we see is solid, clear, undeniable evidence of God's influence. And when somebody who comes up to us and says, well, you know, prove to me God exists. Again, you're not going to be able to prove it to them. You can prove it to yourself. You can give them mountains of evidence. But I would certainly use these scriptures as small pieces of those mountains of evidence to show them that faith is something solid. It's not imaginary. It's real. Rick, true faith can stand because it has a concrete base of truth on which it's built. Right. And if we don't work on having the concrete base, then, then what, good, what good are we? Well, if one, two, three, four scriptures are good, five scriptures are better, right, Jonathan? They're better, yes. Okay. Five is better. Let's go to the fifth <laughs> one. Let's talk about the Pleiades. Now, there are six stars visible in the Pleiades, and actually the, the Pleiades are, six, are, are groups of stars. They're not just single stars. But there's only six visible, but yet the scriptures mention seven. Let's read Amos 5.8. Seek him that maketh the seven stars of Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. So it talks about the seven stars and Orion. Now the seven stars, when you use a telescope, you can see the seventh star, but not without them. Yes. But there not, are seven. Yes, there are. You mean... The Bible knew that. How did the Bible know that? See, folks, the whole point of this is that when we say we have faith in the Bible, it's not because, look, it's, I, look I want to have faith in the Bible. Okay, I admit that. I want to have faith in the Bible. But it's not just out of some fantastical imaginary idea that there's a God up there that's all wonderful and loving. There is a God up there that's all wonderful and loving. But I believe that we can prove that through Scripture. And we can use science to back up that scripture. And that's the beauty of having faith and really allowing it to be exercised in a way that is really powerful and can be life-changing for us. Folks, we've just begun to scratch the surface of faith and feeling. In the second hour, we're going to go through more aspects of faith versus feeling, see how the two can actually work really well together so that we can understand what it is that we stand on and what it is that we stand for, and we can look at our own faith and say, okay, do I have a strong dose of faith that builds up my feelings, or do I have a lot of feelings and am I grasping for faith? So for Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back in just, I don't know, two or three minutes. But until then, what do you have faith in? We'll be back really soon, but till then, think about it.
it's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. John Paul Jones once said, If fear is cultivated, it will become stronger. If faith is cultivated, it will achieve mastery. Good evening. Welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is the question that we have on the table this evening? Well, Rick, our question is, what do you have faith in? And our theme text is found in James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So we are talking about faith and what it is and how it works and also what it's not. And we've spent a lot of time, Jonathan, really, really hammering away at the idea that faith True faith is not credulity. It's not gullibility. It's not believing something just because you'd like for it to be true. And that's such an important aspect of what true Christian faith uh, really is and, and how it's supposed to work. So, But Rick, that seems to be the impression from the outside looking into Christianity, what they think is behind our faith. So, folks, when you get involved in that conversation with somebody who has that perspective— chances are that they think that your faith is that fantastical, gullible way of thinking. So ask them to describe to you, well, what do you think my faith is based on? And just see if you can draw it out of them. And then you can just say to them, well, okay, did you know that my faith is actually based on proof, just like you believe, based what you believe on in? For instance, and then go to a scripture or go to a prophecy or go to this or that and say, see, so to me, that's physical proof of what faith is. So, so Jonathan, there's a massive difference between faith and feeling. We've, we've examined faith and feeling next to each other each segment. So let's go through, just quickly recap what we did uh, in the first hour before we, we continue. Feeling. Deep emotions, when experienced and dwelt upon, can, and most often, lead us to credulity, for emotions need and seek to be validated simply because they exist. Whereas faith, true faith, absolutely can and should lead to feeling, to strong emotion, that will back it up and keep us reminded of the why of our faith. See, there's a big difference. Feeling just needs to be validated. Faith, faith is validatable and can build up feeling as a result of it if the feeling is built on the faith. The next combination. The, ne the, the next point is feelings cannot stand in the absence of faith. Feeling can inspire for a time, but ultimately need a deeper and stronger conviction to even survive long term. Great example of that, Jonathan, is New Year's resolutions. Uh, <laughs> yes. They're yes. based on feeling. I'm going to do it this time because you have that strong emotion. And three days later, you can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> and you forgot what it was in the first right, place. <laughs> right, right. Faith, on the other hand, can and needs to be able to stand and endure in the absence of feelings because faith, true and abiding faith, is far deeper and stronger than any feeling that we might have. So there's a big difference. Feelings are, are, are a sprint. Faith is the marathon. 
And if you realize it, you can take the sprint and put it on the back of the marathon and you can ride along through life with both as long as you let the marathon runner carry you because it's a long-distance run. That's what it is. <laughs> so, folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about the differences between faith and feeling, looking for applications. Uh, give us a call at 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings for 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. So let, let's go now, Jonathan. We've been going to uh, that, uh, that one soundbite source, uh, the Rational Channel. Let's take a break from that. Let's go to something entirely different. Now, this is, this is a little weird, but let's do this anyway. This is from okay. a movie, a 1997 movie, and the, the name of the movie was Contact. It, it had Jodie Foster in it playing uh, Ellie, the scientist, who ends up being, getting in contact with extraterrestrials. And you're thinking, why are you using this as an example on a Christian program? Because there's an element of faith built on something solid that she begins to talk about. So she has come in contact with these extraterrestrials in a very, very fantastical way, very science fiction-y. And now she's back, and she's now before Congress. And she has to tell them, because nobody believes her, because she... It's hard to explain. She's gone for 18 hours, but it seems like she's gone for like not even a second from from Earth's perspective. And so she's trying to to now she's a scientist and she's trying to buttress her her what she knows happened and what she saw. So let's listen to her her trying to explain her position before Congress. There's no direct evidence. No. Tell me something, doctor. Why do you think these aliens? would go to all this trouble, bring you tens of thousands of light years, and then just send you home without a single shred of proof. He said that's how it's been done for billions of years. That's very neat, Doctor. You have no proof, because they didn't want you to have any. A phenomenon known in psychiatric circles, I believe, is a self-reinforcing delusion. Is that what you think, that I was delusional? Well, I do think you may have suffered some kind of an episode, yes. I do. You're implying that this was all some kind of a hoax, that, that he engineered this... Dr. Erroway, you come to us with no evidence, no record, no artifacts, only a story that, to put it mildly, strains credibility. Over half a trillion dollars were spent. Dozens of lives were lost. Are you really going to sit there and tell us we should just take this all on faith? Now, that's a powerful question. And here she is, the scientist, who, of course, in the movie, meets a man of faith. And I don't want to ruin the movie if you want to watch. It's kind of a cool movie. Um, and, and, he, and he and she see things very, very differently because he believes that faith is such an important part of the human form. And she, of course, says, well, I'm a scientist. I have to see the proof. And so she's in a real difficult situation because here she is now. She has had an experience that proves it to her, but she can't explain it to anyone where they'll believe her. So now they're saying, you expect us to take this just on faith, based on just what you say? And that's a conundrum for her. Sounds like doubting Thomas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. It, it does. So it's an interesting question. Well, how does faith play out in that? And is what she is, is, is talking about, is it credulity? Is it really faith that, you know... And I'm not going to ruin the movie for you. We're going to come back to a couple of other sound bites. But um, it's an interesting conversation in terms of 
faith versus feeling. So faith and feeling, how do they contribute to positive changes in our lives? Let's go back to feelings. Let's go to another aspect of feelings in this segment. Feelings at best can help us want to change and perhaps even help us take steps forward towards change, but they lack the depth of conviction to see true and lasting change all the way through. And again, Jonathan, New Year's resolutions are a great example of that. Most of the time, most of our resolutions are built on a feeling. And, That's right. And because of that, they crumble by definition. So how do people get what they want? Are feelings a part of it? You know, there, there, there's been a phenomenon in society. It's not as popular now as it once was. But remember all of the talk about, the quote, the secret, unquote? Yes, yes. The secret was tapping into the powers of the universe to help get your life in order the way you wanted it to be in order. So we're going to give you just a brief explanation on this, of the secret and just give you a sense of how we view something like that in relation to true faith because there's true faith and then there's gullibility. So what is the secret like? This is um, just quoting from the, the, the book The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. The secret is the law of attraction. This idea, simply put, states that everything coming into your life is the result of what you have been attracting to your life. Okay, so right the there, okay, hang, hang on right there. So, so the idea is that you get in your life what you've attracted into your life, and there is a measure of power and truth in that. A measure of power and truth. A measure. Okay, just we'll continue. This idea claims that your destiny is in your hands and that as you master the art of visualization, you will command the universe to fulfill that which you desire. Thoughts become things. As long as you are thinking, the law of attraction is working. Like attracts like. Your feelings, emotions, let you know what you're thinking. The story of Aladdin and the lamp. Your wish is my command. So that gives you a sense of what the secret is all about. And there was one line in there that you read, Jonathan, that really jumps out at me. It says, as you master the art of visualization, you will command the universe to fulfill that which you desire. How does that strike you? Well, <laughs> if we're following in Jesus' footsteps and we're trying to do his Father's will, it doesn't seem like it fits with the, our Christian walk. You mean you're not but, supposed to command the universe? No, no. <laughs> and and to me, it's more selfish than uh, sacrificial. Well, and that's a good way to put it: selfishness versus sacrifice. There, there's a the two just can't work together. And right. when you are out to command the universe, you know, you draw things to you. Now, to an extent, there is a truth in drawing things to you that you, you sort of the, the vibe you put out is what you get back. There's a scriptural principle that actually does follow that. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So scripturally, yes, you have that idea that what you sow, what you put out, is what you will get back. You'll get out the result, back the results of what you've put out. So that is a scripturally sound principle. But just like anything else, you can take a scripturally sound principle and blow it all out of proportion. 
That's right. And you can take that scripture and say, see, the Bible believes in the secret. The Bible tells you what you sow, you shall reap. So sow thoughts of riches and glory and honor and reap benefits of riches and glory and honor. That's not Unfortunately, Rick, we've seen that <laughs> yeah. in the prosperity yeah. gospel, and it's, it's a sad thing. Well, you know, and I would go even a little further than that. I would say it's a pretty despicable thing to take the goodness and the sacrifice of the gospel and turn it into the selfishness that you were comparing before. And that's our biggest issue with the secret is we are not God. Newsflash. We are not God, but we are his creation, and we should seek to be recipients of his divine mercy when and how he wants to give it, not telling him, okay, God, I'm in line now. It's my turn. Hand it over. Yeah, that, that's our fallen desire. That, that's not good. Right. That's never good. No, of course not. Ever, ever. And, and so, you know, the, the idea is we've got to put it in perspective of where our faith needs to be and how our faith needs to grow. Let's go to Matthew six twenty-seven to 30. And who of you by being worried, can add a single hour to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. See, Jonathan, our secret is not to focus on what we want, but it is to lock on to the will of God for us. That's, Amen. That's our secret. That's what real faith is. Gullibility says, I'm going to get what I touch, what I desire, what I put out there. True faith says, I will be given by the grace of God what he sees is beneficial for me. So let's go back to... Um, Another soundbite. Uh, let's go back to the rational channel because we got to go back there, okay? And hear that perspective on faith and feeling and unicorn sandwiches. Accepting that your friend had a unicorn for lunch now requires you to accept the existence of a mythical creature with no previous evidence for its existence. Let's see how this relates to science. Accepting a scientific claim requires trust in both the scientists conducting the research and the scientific process. So is this a reasonable thing to place faith into? The scientific process for evaluating evidence is an agglomeration of individuals working together and they conduct research as well as assess and review the research of others in order to produce consistent evidence which can be applied to reality with equally consistent results. Any claims made within the scientific community undergo rigorous scrutiny by a multinational community of individually motivated scientists. So that was a lot of fast talking about, uh, you know, what what science is all about and you know it was all very well said because the the idea of science is it has to be cooperated by an international community and it has to be worked on and it has to be thoroughly 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 examined good it should be biblical faith is similar but it's not exactly the same biblical faith doesn't look to be cooperated by the masses it looks to be cooperated by itself by what it has to offer and how we understand it and how it that changes our lives. So so feelings, again, remember, they can help us want to change, they can help us take steps, but it's kind of marginal where you end up with. Faith, on the other hand, can and will drive us to make changes in our lives that are clear, sweeping, and abiding because real faith can actually be identified by the real effects it has on our everyday. That's how you can identify what real faith is. 
And so, Rick, uh, what you're saying, uh, a living faith requires action. Yeah. You have to go to work if you have faith. You don't sit back and enjoy your faith. You go out and you use that faith so it can develop and can have an effect on others around you. We cannot think and that— And, Rick, there's more on the bonus material on that. Yeah, yeah, also. actually, you're right. we got a bunch of scriptures on, on faith in action, what it actually looks like. Um, so, so, you know, we can't think that we're locked onto God's will for us without the severe tests of our resolve. You have to have tests of your resolve to see if you have real, true Christian faith. And that's what this next scripture is about. Uh, James 1, verses 2 through 8. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let your endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So this is a scripture that's talking about expect trials and receive them with joy because that means your faith is being tested. And what better way to live than to have your faith tested each and every day? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, what do you have faith in? Coming up, faith and feeling. Let's get practical. What role do they play in the everyday moments of life? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, what do you have faith in? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. And sign up for CQ Rewind. Hit the newsletter sign up tab, and you'll register for our inside CQ Rewind outline and our inside weekly material. All right, CQ Rewind, the full edition, is a really, really, really great, great tool. It's a free service. Please try it out. Just give it a try and see how it goes. Jonathan, as we come back in uh, to this segment, uh, we're going to go back to the, the Jodie Foster movie, Contact, from 1997. Remember, she's before Congress. They're asking her. They're grilling her. She's saying, well, you're saying I'm delusional? Because she knows what she saw. She knows what she experienced. She was there. And, and so she's got this dilemma as a scientist as to what to do and how to do it and how to answer the questions with honesty and integrity, but now with this new dimension of, of this, this experience that was so far out of what she expected. So let's just listen in. Please answer the question, Doctor. Is it possible that it didn't happen? Yes. As a scientist, I must concede that. I must volunteer that. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You admit that you have absolutely no physical evidence to back up your story. Yes. You admit that you very well may have hallucinated this whole thing. Yes. 
You admit that if you were in our position, you would respond with exactly the same degree of incredulity and skepticism. Yes. Then why don't you simply withdraw your testimony and concede that this journey to the center of the galaxy, in fact, never took place? Because I can't. And so she's stuck with that dilemma because her experience says, I can't concede even though it doesn't make sense to those around me because it made sense to her based on what she saw and how it all worked. So what do you do with that? It just it creates this dilemma that's just so very difficult. So that brings us back to the idea of feelings uh, being part of our lives. Feelings can get lost in everyday moments because these moments don't feed them. On the contrary, the, the everyday moments of life can disturb and unsettle our feelings and spread seeds of discouragement and discontentment. So it really is a very important aspect to understand that when we have feelings, you know, they will get interrupted. They will get disturbed. They will be undone by the things uh, in our lives. So at this point, Jonathan, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut on the line. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good evening, uh, Rick and Jonathan. Thank you. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, uh, who can we have faith in? I remember uh, one of the old grocery stores. I'm hearing a you major hear echo right now. Go ahead, go ahead, Julius. You hear an echo? No, no, you're okay. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, who can we trust in? Put your faith in. I remember one of the uh, mom and pop stores over the years. They had a sign on the in the store saying, uh, "In God we trust. Everybody else pay cash." Remember <laughs> that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can see that. Now, uh, going back to one of your programs, you had uh, you had Julie as your guest. Yes. Uh, and uh, I, I, uh, I added uh, to uh, Jonathan's uh, uh, word is all, and your word, Rick, is uh, context. Yes. May I add a couple more? Sure, go ahead. Mine is uh, time. Time is critical. And I, I, I added one. For, I don't think Julie needs my help. <laughs> one for her. <laughs> she could add eternity. All context, time, eternity. But anyway... On the issue of faith, I like a scripture in, uh, in um, Luke chapter 18, verse 8. It concludes an episode about prayer, but uh, I like where it says, when the Son of Man returns, would he find faith on the earth? I think that refers to end times now. And brothers, there is very little faith. There may be, like you say, some feelings. But uh, the faith just isn't there. I share a, a, a one of my favorite scriptures with you along this line. That's Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6. Uh, For without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder, and that he is a rewarder of them that seek him. Right. You see, you, you, you know, to believe that he is, uh, it, within the context of James chapter 2, if you remember, uh, it, sh it shows in there that uh, it says uh, even uh, demons believe and tremble. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a feeling. But we, 
believe and act on our faith. And uh, Hebrews 11:6, God said he rewards that accordingly. There is a reward attached to heaven, the real, true faith in our Creator. Thank you, and God bless. All right, Julius, thank you very much for the call. We appreciate it. Okay, well, good night. Good night. Take care. All right, so, uh, Jonathan, as we, uh, we continue now, um, we're, we're, we're looking at the idea of feeling versus faith. And uh, Julius brought in, you know, added some words, time and eternity, in relation to faith. Because faith sometimes does take time to develop, but it is for eternity. And, that, and that's the thing. We believe in something that's eternal. And if you're going to believe in something that's eternal, you really should have a reason to believe it. Not just a feeling that you want to believe it. Because feelings get crushed by the everyday. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Okay, so what he's saying is, you know, you create a base of instruction. You instruct those who are rich in this present world that, hey, you've got to reprogram what you base your faith in. So he's saying, give them a base of instruction, and then what does the Apostle Paul tell Timothy to do next? Instruct them to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So he says, give them a base of instruction, then teach them practically. Teach them practically how to make faith real in their lives. And you don't make faith real by the emotion of it. You make it real by finding out why you believe what you believe putting that foundation in place. See, you know, again, feelings get lost and crushed in the everyday moments of life. Faith, therefore, can thrive in everyday moments because it's at these times when we're engaged in the sometimes monotonous tasks of life that faith can give those tasks perspective and meaning. Faith turns our minds upward in thanks and praise even when we are of necessity focused downward on worldly responsibilities. And, and Jonathan, I, I think of you when I when I read that statement because in your in in your daily work experience, how often have you mentioned how you know you try really hard when you're doing sort of monotonous things to work that you have to do, like you sing hymns. That's right. And and that and that's that's a way to have faith be in the forefront in the midst of the monotony and the difficulty uh, and, the, and the small steps of, of, of everyday life. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about faith, how it works, how it's different from feeling. Give us a call at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evening, evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page, and go to our blog. All right, so let, let's go now to Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, about faith in the everyday moments of life lifting us up. Remind them of these things, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. You can only accurately handle the word of truth if you are trying to let the word of truth guide you rather than you guide it. 
And Jonathan, that is one of the biggest mistakes that gets made in Christianity today, is we try to guide the word of truth to verify what we want it to say. That's not faith. That's that's trouble. That's trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's big trouble. We want, we want the mind of God, not our own mind. And that's why it says before, don't wrangle about words. Let the word of God guide you. Don't you try and guide it. So you can see that Christian faith is built on something solid. It's not built on just how you feel in the moment. It's built on something that has credibility and evidence and provability to it. So now with that, let's go back to our friends at the Rational Channel, shall we? Oh, boy. <laughs> With the unicorn sandwiches and all of that. And uh, because now, again, they're, they're, they're pointing to the fact of that science must be verified. Trust in the scientific process falls under the first definition of faith, whereas belief in the supernatural falls under the second definition. Nope. Despite this, theists neglect that there are different definitions of faith and use them synonymously. Nope. Theist claims involving supernatural events is a claim similar to the unicorn sandwich in our previous example. No, it and isn't. And it's lacking the necessary evidence which would adjust the current model of reality as to accept this claim and make it viable to believe. Hence, believing this falls under the second definition of faith as it requires suspension of certain aspects of reality without adequate evidence. Whereas scientific concepts always fit within the model of reality or provide new evidence of mechanisms that can adjust the current model of reality, accepting these concepts requires a degree of trust in the scientists and scientific process, but is based on evidence that is verified by a large number of independent qualified sources and is available for public access. Okay, you heard me making little comments during that because that really drives me I crazy. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the issue here is that it is a gross generalization saying all theists do this. And that's, I have a problem with that. I have a serious problem with that because we believe faith has to be built upon solid, clear evidence. So when you have somebody who has that perspective, just challenge them on the idea of did you know do you know how the bible works do you know how prophecies work i mean look the bible is not science we know that because we've already explained you know you don't go through the same rigorous uh, scientific processes that um with, with scripture okay but we but rick in that in that soundbite at the end it was talking about how science can change yes so so they'll, they'll find a truth but all of a sudden years down the road with more input they were wrong and it's this way now based on this new evidence right so anyway the truth stays the same well it does it does now god's application of the truth has developed over time but the overall truth of the overall plan absolutely does stay the same. And we adhere to a discriminatory approach, just like in science, just not to the same degree. It's not a peer-reviewed situation, but it is a, is a peer-studied situation. That's the really the way Christian faith ought to work. And, and, you know, and Julius mentioned in his phone call, my favorite word is context. Because, it certainly is. <laughs> because when you understand the context of something, it can now speak to you properly. All right? For instance... Let me give you an example of driving directions. I'm giving you instructions, Jonathan. You ready? Okay, now, I'm ready. These are good instructions. They're really good. Take the exit 37 and then stay to the left. At the next light, turn right, and then it's the first driveway on the left. Pretty simple, right? Very simple. Okay, you can follow them very easily. 
But yep. it, but if you don't know what highway you're on, what state you're in. I don't in, know where I am. <laughs> right. What <laughs> state you're in, uh, what direction you're going on the highway, those directions do not make sense. And those directions sound like a fantasy. Like, oh, I'm supposed to get there like that? Well, that's how they look at us with the scriptures. They say, well, look, they're just draw- they're pulling directions out of, their, out of their heads and saying this is the way God speaks. What they don't understand is how scripture is built. So let's just take a few minutes and, and go through the, the way the Bible needs to un- be understood. Okay, there's, there's several bullet points here. When are the words spoken or written? Okay, when? What, 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 what era are they spoken and written? This is important in understanding the context of the words. To whom are they spoken or written? Because if you're reading something written to a certain group of people, and an outside group of people reads that and tries to apply it, obviously they're not going to get the right meaning. So you have to know who it's meant for, who the message each, in each specific scripture is meant for. What are the circumstances of the words needing to be spoken or written? Okay, why are those words spoken? Why are they written? What are the circumstances that provoked that particular experience or lesson or parable or prophecy? When, in what age do the words apply? You see, as as we mentioned earlier, God applies his plan differently as time goes on to achieve his ultimate end. That reminded me of Julius's word timing. Right, right, exactly. You have to put have the understanding of the timing of certain scriptures because they won't make sense taken out of their proper time. How about this one, Rick? Are the words symbolic, literal, or prophetic? That's important. The Bible is a book of symbols, of literal statements, and of prophecy. So if you're going to take a symbolic statement and say, well, the Bible said that, that doesn't make sense. Well, duh, you're right, it doesn't, because it's symbolic. And if you don't know how to do that, you're not going to get the meaning. And what else? Are they admonitions, parables, or a record of events? So, again, it's a matter of understanding the Bible in the context and the reasons it was written. That is how we establish true faith and not that fantastical idea that is really credulity and gullibility. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. For we do not follow clever devised tales when we make known to the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So, so Peter is saying, look, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty at the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw this happen. And, and let's continue. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And he says, okay, we not only saw it, but we heard it. So he's saying, you have the evidence of what I have personally seen. And then he says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy is ever made by any act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So what Peter is saying is we have the words of prophecy that are even more important than my own personal experience. 
take the Bible as a whole and see what it says to us, see what it means to us, see where it brings us, and that's how you build real faith. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, what do you have faith in? Coming up, faith and feeling. How do they drive us when we are called to action or in times of emergency? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, what do you have faith in? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. So, Jonathan, as we continue our discussion on faith, with faith and feeling, um, we're really trying to, to show how faith and feeling are in a lot of ways very opposite, but in a lot of ways need to be able to work together. It's just that you need to understand the role that each plays so that you, you are not going to be frustrated and defeated by the combination of your faith and feeling. Because, you know, if you have feelings first and you build your faith on the feelings, both are going to get crushed. Well, Rick, uh, when we're called to action or there's times of emergencies, we do need that balance. You need both. You absolutely need both. Now, having said that, let's just go back one more time to our friends at uh, um, uh, the Rational Channel because, you know, their perspective on those of us who live by faith is not, well, let's just say it's not very pleasant. How's that? (laughs) Hence, it falls under the first definition of faith. Therefore, using the word faith to describe science and theology in the same context is an equivocation fallacy. Theists calling beliefs in scientific discoveries faith is just projecting their inadequacies onto others to try and make their position feel slightly more defensible, which frankly it isn't. Understanding this difference is essential when discussing science in public discourse, as the equivocation of the word faith is disingenuous and unjustifiably damages the image of science within the public eye. Okay. So once again, my response to that would be, shame on you, Mr. Science, for the gross generalization and assumption that you understand what Christian faith actually is. After all we've talked about, uh, you know, it just, it just doesn't make sense what he's talking about. But again, we had to play it through because that's, folks, that's the way we're looked at. And there are Christians that would fall into that category. There's no question about it. But if you are one whose faith is founded on something solid and provable according to scripture, according to prophecy, according to all the things that we've discussed, then stand up. Stand up for that and do not be afraid when people start to to, to categorize you. Just simply, gently, kindly, lovingly correct them. That's all. That's all we're asking. Feelings, Jonathan. Feelings can bring us to extremes. In these situations, they can reduce us to quivering blobs of emotion. True. <laughs> well, that's so true. Yeah. Or they can bring us to the height of heroic moments. Because, oh, I like that. Because feelings can do both. They really can. Feelings can bring that hero out in the individual. Matthew eight twenty three to 27. This is actually a scripture of the quivering blob of emotion, actually, in this verse. 
When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered over with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So you have this classic, classic verse where his truest, closest followers, Jesus' closest followers, were scared for their lives, and they became quivering blobs of emotion. Did they forget the Son of God was in the boat with them? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, because obviously they knew he was there, but their emotion did not let them register the faith in his presence there. So Good point. They, did they forget? Yes, in a, from a standpoint. No, of course not, because they went running to him. Wake up, or we're going to die. Well, wait a minute. Why is it that you're, you're going to die if he's asleep versus he's awake? You know, if he's there, you're good. <laughs> exactly. But again, but see, that's what emotion does. It takes, I mean, they had their deliverance. And, you know, you give them credit. They knew that their deliverance was with them because they woke up Jesus. So yes, you can yes. give them credit. And he says, oh, you of little faith. He's not saying you faithless individuals. He's saying you, you of a faith that needs to grow into trust. So trust. So what's trust have to do? We don't, we're talking about feelings and faith. What about trust? Well, trust is, is, trust is the result of faith. Trust is faith applied in what seems impossible. And when we learn trust, and again, you can't have trust unless you first have strong faith. And you can't have strong faith unless you have a strong foundation. So it all works together so that feelings can bring us to the heights of heroism versus the emotional, how, how do we say it? Quivering blobs of emotion. <laughs> big, big, big difference between the two. Uh, let's go to a final soundbite from the uh, the movie Contact, the 1997 movie. Uh, Jodie Foster's character uh, Ellen is now at this final hearing, and you know she's just been really cornered. And she said, "Look, could it? Could I be? Could I have imagined all this? Sure, I could have." But now she brings out her conclusion. And remember, this is that scientist who brings out her very clear conclusion from her experience. I had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't even explain it. But everything that I know as a human being, everything that I am tells me that it was real. I was given something wonderful, something that changed me forever. A vision of the universe that tells us undeniably how tiny and insignificant and how rare and precious we all are. A vision that tells us that we belong to something that is greater than ourselves, that we are not, that none of us are alone. I wish I could share that. I wish that everyone, if even for one moment, could feel that awe and humility and hope. But... That continues to be my wish. So the interesting thing is she's before Congress and she's being made a fool of, and all she has left is to tell those who are listening what she wishes for. And her wish is simple, that you could see the beauty of the greatness 
of the creation around us and the fact that we're not alone. I mean, there's something so much bigger than we are. And to me, Jonathan, that is one of the very, very biggest difficulties when we have this great debate between those who don't believe in God and those who do, is the idea that all of this happened by some kind of strange group of chances. And, and folks, look, tune into our program, The Archive, um, Does Science Show the Existence of a Creator? Uh, we did that several weeks ago with David Stein, and it gives you a, a mind-blowing perspective on why we have such faith that there is intelligent design behind all of these things. If you have a thought, folks, now would absolutely be the time. We are almost out of time. It's 866-985-4255. So, you know, sometimes we might be in a similar position that, that uh, Jodie Foster's character was in in that movie where everybody around us is skeptical. It's at such a time that faith and feeling, if properly balanced uh, and developed, can shine as a witness to God. And, and that's what we want. But our feeling isn't going to shine as a witness unless it is based on real, live faith. There's a great example of faith in Scripture we're going to get to in a moment. You know, we've talked about feeling and the quivering blobs of emotion. Faith, on the other hand, true and abiding faith is fueled by feeling as it breeds trust. We already talked about trust. And courage, because it gives us conviction and confidence when we are challenged or needed. And... An example of this intense kind of faith under fire, under pressure, uh, is is the the example of Stephen. Uh, just yeah, before, amazing, yeah, amazing. His he, example. He is about to be killed, but here is his example of this foundational faith. He looks those in the eye who are want to kill him, and he tells them exactly what the plan of God is, and he tells them all of the plan of God that they already knew. And yet they still go ahead and they, and they take his life. Let, let's go through this. Acts seven fifty one to 58. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. So, I mean, talk about an indictment. Wow. Right at that moment. I mean, he, he's basically saying, look, you are stiff-necked. You are stubborn. And then he says something. Now, now remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience. And yes. remember, a symbol of the difference of the Jewish people from the rest of the world was that of circumcision. And he, Absolutely. and he says to this Jewish audience of the, the upper echelon of this Jewish audience, he says, you are stubborn and uncircumcised in heart. In other words, you are not being different in your heart. You are not being godly in your heart. You are not being chosen in your heart and in your ears because you're resisting what the power of God is showing you. And he's telling them the prophecies. He's telling them their own history. And he's saying, you've got to realize this led up to Jesus. And you crucified him. So he is giving them a clear picture, standing on this great foundation of faith. So he has given this to them, and he has given it to them in detail and in a Christian way, with godliness and with all of the passion, all of the feeling that he can muster. What is 
their result, their 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 reaction. Verses 54 to uh, 58. We got to skip a little bit here and there. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began began gnashing their teeth at him. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. So when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. In other words, it, it cut right through them. In other words, it hurt them because he spoke to them and they had in that moment the opportunity to actually change their way. But instead of changing, they were not men of true faith. They covered their ears. They didn't want to hear another word he had to say. And they went, they dragged him out of the city because they couldn't stone him within the city because that was against the Jewish law. So, so you think about that, the irony of that action. And then they had driven him out, they began stoning him, and, and that's how Stephen met his end. That's how he, he died because he had stood for something and he stood for something and it cost him his very life. But his, and he was faithful in his, his walk. You know... If Stephen had gone with the feelings of the matter rather than the true faith, he might have tried to say, come on, guys. I just see it a little bit differently. Let's, let's see if we can work this out. He didn't do that. He went right through it and told them exactly what was happening because Jesus was very current in their own minds. This was not something that had happened generations ago. This was just a very, very short period of time. So you see this incredible, incredible example of faith on the part of, of uh, Stephen there. And again, we might not ever have such an experience, but that doesn't mean we can't have the same faith, trust, and courage. What we have to learn to do is to ever move forward in our lives by faith. Move forward by true faith. By faith that is not founded in feeling, not founded in emotion, but founded in the facts of Scripture and the beauty of God's plan, in the fact of fulfilled prophecy, in the fact of the, the, the lineage of how the Scriptures work and the unfolding of the plan of God. So as we begin to wrap this up, Jonathan, let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Um, actually, you know what? Uh, let me... Um, let me go to just a, a quick chat comment, and then we're going to go to this final scripture. It says, I find it helpful to remember Mark 9, 23 to 25, regarding the man with the child in need of help who asked Jesus for help with his own unbelief. Jesus had told him all things are possible to those that believe. Jesus saw his small faith and helped his child, knowing the man wanted to increase his faith. We have to work at it, and Jesus will help no matter what stage of faith we are in if we are sincere. And that is so true. Great comment. But here's the thing. Jesus will help us, but he doesn't do it for us. Our faith is developed because we work at it. We, we change. We work at changing and focusing and studying and becoming Christ-like. That doesn't happen all by itself. It happens because we focus on it and it's our heart's desire. Philippians 3, 7 through 14. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. So the first step that the apostle is talking about is I used to think one way. I now think a different way. I've taken what I used to think. I've put it aside and I'm moving beyond it. What's next? And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, 
derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So I've put aside my own feelings of being self-righteous, and I take upon the righteousness of God through Christ. That's the righteousness that I claim. It's not me, it's not from me, but I am reaching towards that. So you see, the apostle changed the whole, his whole way of approaching life. Why? That I, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So he's saying there's something greater here that I need to focus on because my faith needs to step forward, step up, and step out. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may take hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. All right, so he's saying, look, you know me as a, as a faithful individual, but I haven't already gotten there. I am not arrived yet. I am still working. I am still running. I am still striving. I'm still learning. I'm still leaving things behind because faith is a continual growth process. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul himself is saying, I press on toward this upward call because faith requires us to get out of that which is comfortable and to move forward toward that which is spiritual. Spiritual is not necessarily comfortable. It can become comfortable once we put the other things aside like the Apostle was just talking about. But, you know, Jonathan, in closing, we need to begin to really understand the value of our feelings and apply them to our life of faith and trust. And in this, you might be able to become a, a living epistle for Christ. We can become a book that others can open, read, and have faith in. And that's really what this is about. It's about understanding what is it that we have faith in, why do we have faith in the things that we say we have faith in, and how can we take that faith and really have it apply in a way that's going to change our lives, not only now, but for eternity. And at, while we're at it, changing our lives, why don't we be an example so that others can learn what real faith is, how it's based on fact and not fiction and not feeling, and based on the truth of Scripture, so they can change their lives and become more Christ-like. That's the journey of faith, folks. That's what we're in to do together. Let's take our feelings and focus them on the foundation of faith. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Question, we hope you've enjoyed being with us this evening. We will be back again next week with another subject. But till then, what do you have real, true, strong faith in? Till next week, think about it.